This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. Dream Symbols is a Canadian company that gets handmade symbols fabricated in Asia to their own specs. Lots of really cool stuff, kind of classic, thin, dark, all kinds of creative stuff. My personal favorite is the Bliss and Contact series, but they've got a lot of cool stuff, cool gongs and little effects sounds and everything. Uh, give them a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and uh, let's check out the show. What's up, everyone, and welcome into episode 150 of the Modern Drummer Podcast. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of episodes. Super excited to be with you. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we've got a new segment for you called Guess That Snare. So I will be playing one of my snare drums in multiple tunings, and Mike will have to narrow down whether it's a wood shell or a metal shell, what metal is it, what is the size of the drum. We'll see how well he can guess that snare. After that, we'll be discussing snare drum heads and how they change the feel and sound you're getting out of your drum. Our featured artist this time is Mastodon's Braun Daler. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the Zildjian A-Series 18-inch Uptown Ride and 12-inch New Beat Hi-Hats. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Oh, man, that might have been the best timing one yet. Yeah, we'll see. Actually, there's, <laughs> there's no way to see. It's impossible. And no one and no one ever hears it, so they don't even know what the heck we're talking about. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm coming to the end. I just did the math. I mean, this is going to sound like a humble brag, but I'm on a 17-day streak of not going a day without some kind of work, and it's kind of coming to a head. Okay. So tomorrow, the 4th of, which, 4th of July, which will be the past when this episode airs, but that'll be my first actual day off of any work obligations for 17 days in a row. Congrats, I'm not man. sure what I'm going to I, th- I know what I have to do. I have to f- fix a busted uh, sink in my basement. <laughs> yeah, man. I, just, I I try to tell campers, like, they're like, dude, so we leave. What are you going to do with your week off? I'm like, oh, my week off is way more busy than my week on. Are you kidding? You know how many things Amber's been piling up for me? That's the way it happens. And, uh, yep. So, uh, but it, but it. It is different, though. It's a different kind of work. You're in your house. The dogs are running around. The wife's there. So it's good stuff, man. Well, you deserve a day off for sure. Yeah. So I'm sure be, all of our for me, that's like not having to, will agree. Not having to commute into the city, which is not that big a deal, but it's still just like draining to have to go into yeah. the city. and then I can see that. You know, like By the time I get home, I'm like, oh, I feel dehydrated. Anyway, enough complaining about something. I shouldn't be complaining about. I'm grateful to have the work. First world problems. <laughs> yep. I'm with you, buddy. Uh, it's been tough paddleboarding lately. There's a lot of traffic on the river, so <laughs> I just up. I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Oh, good times, oh. dude! Right now, I'm in just practice obsession mode, just practicing like crazy for these overseas clinics and everything. So That's I'm right. Getting so all that stuff. When done. do you actually fly out? I fly out. Uh, you probably know my schedule better than me because you communicate with my wife. Like the 15th uh, and I meant or that in 16th? a positive way. Yeah, I think the fifteenth. So I have a camp starting on the eighth. Uh, so next week, so I'll teach uh, the camp from the eighth to the fourteenth, and then on the fifteenth, the following day, I fly to China, do three dates there, and then Thailand, Taiwan, and Indonesia. So wow, how's the just getting everything ready? Is it brutal? Uh, it is, eh, we have one day off, but I know that uh, my mom just sent me a text that one of the dates uh, in China is one of the kind of biggest markets in the world for, for growing green tea. Like where we get all of our green tea from is from this specific city. Oh, yeah. So I'm hoping I have a few hours off. I'm going to be like a gosh darn crack addict just <laughs> grabbing leaves left and right stuffing them in my backpack so i'm hoping i can get some free time there i think we have uh, i would not recommend stealing any tea in china i would not recommend. i'm not stealing anything if somebody says if i if i say where are the straws and they say over there sir i'm gonna leave a dollar when i grab the free straw for my drink i am not about to mess with anything that's for any of you that uh, don't travel a lot, when you travel, be on your best behavior. It, it can go bad in a heartbeat, and you don't know the rules Ooh, over there. Oh, well, speaking of which, which is a strange uh, – I'll trace my thought. So wasn't Take it away. one of Lonzo Ball's – his brother got arrested in China for shoplifting? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's what took me there. LeBron is okay. a Laker now. What LeBron is a Laker. <laughs> what did he get, 130 or $34 million for four years, something like that? Yeah. Not bad. Um, Not bad. 
No, not not bad. But and he's got to deal with the Ball family. How's he going to deal with that? Well, okay, let me ask you this. It's been two days since he signed his deal. What have you heard from LeVar Ball? Well, I mean, nothing. not yet because his son is getting surgery. I, but once he's back and he's not getting playing time, I don't know. Be... I, I I think there might have been I think there might have been a gag order put on old uh, pops <laughs> where Magic Johnson said, "Look, if you say anything, I will sit your kid for the rest of the year." I mean, I think he's Just... going to get traded. Honestly, yeah, I think he's gone. Well, I mean, and it, and it was a it was a gutsy move. Nobody's there right now for LeBron. It's. You know, I mean, right now the Lakers are a worse team than he just left. But the idea is, okay, somebody will come here. Paul George, who didn't, who decided mm-hmm. to stay in Oklahoma City. Then Demarcus Cousins just signed with Golden State. Yep. That doesn't help the Lakers' chances. <laughs> so now we've got uh, Kawhi still out there. I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, so we'll see who who goes and joins LeBron. But I I've, I think I said on this podcast about five episodes ago, he's going to L.A. just because his family is there, his life's there, and you don't have to be the greatest Laker of all time because you get to just be part of that mix of Kareem, Magic, Kobe, Shaq. You just get thrown in the mix with those guys. So, uh, And honestly, it's been a 10-year drought. If he does anything in L.A., it'll be huge. Yeah, oh, so. yeah they're automatically, I don't know. Playoff contention? Oh, for sure, for sure. But <laughs> certainly not going to yeah, win if the West. Can, the if he could take now. Cleveland to the finals every year, <laughs> that yeah. Was... But I mean, Golden State. I mean, I, I don't think yeah. I don't think Cousins is going to be much of an attribute this year. But we'll see. Right. But, well, he won't even be playing till after the All Star break because of his Achilles. Yeah. So. I mean, that's one of those injuries um, where, like, yeah, they just I think they just wanted to gobble him up because no one else did. But. I don't know. But anyway, they can't beat Houston. Welcome they to Sports beat. Talk with Mike and Mike. <laughs> they can't beat no, I, they can't beat the yeah. Thunder at this point. <laughs> Not yet. No, it's <laughs> it's going to be tough sledding. But at least LeBron gets to live in one of his mansions instead of traveling around. So yeah. everything will be good. I'm predicting and, a, uh, uh, it's going to be a, a Shaq moment where he's going to start doing movies. Yeah. That's what's going to I think I think so. He did he did great. What was he in uh uh, he was in that comedy that came out like two or three years ago. Uh, Can't say I saw anyways, it. Anyways, <laughs> well, clearly neither did I, but I heard good reviews about LeBron's performance. How about so. Simon we'll Treasure's see. intro beat? <laughs> That's what I was talking about. What have you been talking about? Were you talking sports? I was uh, comparing Simon's groove to LeBron's greatness. Get your head out of your ears, Mike. <laughs> oh, we're so, right. so far out of our league in the, that opening What was segment. he using? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's check out a little bit more of Simon's Beat since it's been 20 minutes since we heard it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right, that's Simon Treasure out of the U.K. He's playing a CNC copper over brass snare, a Ludwig 1970 Super Classic kit. That's exactly what I have, and that's that's my uh, Desert Island kit. It's the Bull Agop 16-inch hi-hats, 22-inch Dark Crash. He's got some of the Index Bonzo Shaker. I don't know what that is, but it sounds cool. Big fat snare drum mute. Um, you know, AKG, Shure, Audix, Audi Technica, Mics, Focusrite Pre, which is, I think, the one that we reviewed a couple episodes ago. Yep. And using Logic Pro X. Sounds good, man. Thanks for sending it in. There you go. Awesome job, son. All right, now, we have an educational section where we're going to be talking about snare drum heads, but before we get to snare drum heads... Let's talk about some snare drums. We have a new segment for you guys. I want you to have more audio in this podcast, and I want you to be on this guessing journey with us. So what I'm doing is, you guys know I have a fairly extensive snare drum collection. I'm recording one of my snares in two different tunings. So I would say medium tight, which is about where I keep my snare naturally. So the natural tuning that I usually would play the snare. And then a low tuning. Mike has no idea what snare it is, and his job is to guess what it is. I'm not expecting you to guess the brand, the make, the model. I'm just trying to see, can you hear whether or not it's a wood shell, a metal shell? Can you hear whether it's a 14, 13, or 12? Those are the three sizes I have in my collection. And do you think it's a deep snare or a shallow snare? So are you ready to play guess that snare mr dawson i am i'm going to unplug my headphones so i can actually hear it through the speakers so let's all right uh, let's take a listen to this drum
Okay. Okay. So I have my um, assessment of what it, I'm hearing and what I would choose to get that similar sound. So I think it's a metal drum. Okay. Am I right? So, <laughs> God dang it. I, I don't want you to be right because it's annoying. <laughs> yes, you're super right. Let me ask you this. When you're listening, are you envisioning the snares you know that I own, or are you really just using your ears and no, trying I, to I think? No, I Aside from a few pieces, I don't even know what you own. So okay. I'm, okay. I'm, so I'm yes. not cheating. I, at least I'm not. I mean, I do have information that I'm pulling from, but I think that would be anyone. Sure. That's just general knowledge. Sure. You know, I own metal snares and I own wood snares. Right. That is a metal <laughs> snare for sure. And by All the right. way, for everyone that's listening, there's no muffling, no muting whatsoever. This is a single ply, an Aquarian single ply texture coated head. I'm using my overhead as low as I can get it, and I've got just a touch of EQ and compression, but no reverb or anything the like EQ that. EQ is just taking out the anomalies from the microphone, I assume, some of the wolfing exactly. and all that. It's honestly trying to get it as, as natural as possible. Okay, so I'll tell you why I thought it was metal. Um, okay. Because there was, there was just some, some frequencies in, in the overtones that sounded uh, more higher overtones that I don't typically hear from a wood drum. Okay. That's what kind of cued me in that it's probably metal. Obviously, you could fool me with a wood drum um, with that, but that's what maybe clued, clued into that. Depth-wise, I really can't guess. It doesn't sound like a piccolo. It doesn't sound like something super deep. So it's somewhere in the middle, five to six and a half. I couldn't really nice. have any Good call. fair assessment to what it would be. It sounded – I mean, let me take a listen to the, to the response. So now I'm listening for how quick are the snares reacting to you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not hearing any clues, so I'm going to say it's in the middle, five and a half. Okay, so size-wise, we've got ourselves a 14 by 5. <laughs> it's a 5. Oh, damn it, it's a 5 by 14. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get it one day. Yeah, so we've got a 5 by 14, and it's a metal drum. Now, as far as the metal, do they all kind of run? I mean, can you rule any metals out? Um, just by uh, deductive reasoning, which could, again, be completely off-base, it sounds relatively dry. Mm-hmm. So I would put it as a thin metal shell, probably. It's not like a cast steel or a bell brass or anything in that, that world. Um, and dry, I immediately, my first thing, think, instinct is aluminum or something aluminum-like, which could be, you know, a metal doesn't have a ton of, like, natural resonance, like titanium or something like that. So I'm going to say it's aluminum. Okay. Um, this would be the first incorrect guess, but <laughs> I will say that uh, at this point, I think we can – I can tell you what it is and then we can discuss it a little bit because you're right. It is a very – it's my driest metal snare even though it's a 14 or a 5 by 14 brass. Oh, it's a brass. Is but it old? It's an A and F. Uh, okay. And they've got brass hoops, they've got brass lugs, they've got leather washers in between the brass lugs, and it, it's a very thin, very purposely dry shell. So I would say that it actually sounds a lot like if you got like just like the most primo acrylite ever, yeah. this drum kind of sounds like that. Okay. That all kind of makes sense then. So it has the metallic. And it's got the single flanged hoops, but they're brass. It's got the claw. Everything is brass on this drum. There's no just pot metal anywhere. Uh Okay. And that also explains why I was hearing a little bit more low end than I thought would be coming out of a shallow drum. Interesting. So that's that's a 5 by 14 raw brass? Raw brass A&F. Yep. Nice. Um, it's a nice, solid drum. Like if it's, it's definitely in my top five of I have to bring one drum to the gig. It's one of those drums. It, I've talked to Rami about it quite a few times because he asked, like, hey, you have the 14 by 5 raw or 5 by 14 raw brass. Why do you choose the steel? And I always tell him your 5 by 14 raw brass technically in drum nerd world sounds better than my steel. But it almost has no character. It's very dictionary, mm. perfect snare drum. And the steel has this hint of character to it that I kind of dig that gives me, like, just a little separation from the generic snare tone. But if I was going to a studio, that's I and I had to take one metal drum, that would be the drum I would take. Nice. Yeah, it sounded really so, good. Yeah. It sounded, oh. both tunings sounded really comfortable. Cool. 
There we go. All right. So we will do that again in our next episode. And maybe at some point we can expand it to some symbols. I would love to do this stuff with hi-hats. I think that there's Mm -hmm. so much that you could do with hi-hats. And I would love for you to start bringing in your snare collection doing the same. So, all right, let's keep moving forward. So now it's time to talk about affecting the sound of your snare drum. And so you guys have an article, everything you need or what you need to know about snare drum heads. That is in the current article of modern or issue of modern drummer yep just out now so So it's the the august issue if you just got your copy what do you need to know about snare heads (laughs) yeah right where do you begin (laughs) i think there's so much that people don't know people don't even take into (laughs) account what might be underneath the head what the collar might be like how big is the hoop how's it fitting into the rim and and i don't think people understand it until you get your first vintage drum and you realize hey my head's not fitting on the drum yeah and it's like okay well there are heads that will you're not you don't have to go skin a cow like you're going to be fine but they're not all snare heads are created equal yeah, that's very true, and I definitely discovered that the hard way. But I think I think each company has kind of mitigated that with different things. With Evans, they've got the level three hundred and sixty, which kind of extends the, which is, I don't know, what is that called, the collar portion of the head. The actual fold yep. extends out a little bit further. Aquarian has their American Vintage, which is a little bit bigger. Um, right. Remo has their Classic Fit series, which again is designed to be just a little bit wider, so it'll fit over those weird old drums. Um, yep. I think the first thing you need to know about snare drum heads for me is that you should always start if you want to really hear what your drum sounds like with a single ply coated head. Single ply coated head. Just, I couldn't agree more. That's going to give you the most kind of natural what does the drum actually do sound. Um, and I also kind of default to like use the thinnest head that you possibly can for your playing style on a snare drum. Yeah, well, I mean, if otherwise it just sounds like you've got a blanket over it. And I, I think the other thing is because the snare is the head that gets generally tightened the most, as long as you're not going in full hardcore style, you'd be surprised at how durable those heads are. Um, yeah. If you have a really loose head and you're getting that gushy, fat snare tone and you're hitting it hard, of course, honestly, a double ply head's going to dent, especially if you're using like ball tips or something. But. I've been really surprised once I switched over, you know, this podcast was part of the genesis of me switching to single ply snare heads on the top. And I always played uh, super twos or response twos because of my campers. It wasn't really because of me. I wasn't hitting that hard anymore, but got eight people going up and bashing out a Foo Fighters tune on my kit. You know, I needed something that could withstand the punishment. But honestly, it's been fine if you as long as you tune it kind of snappy, they hold up just fine. So what did you discover sonically when you made that switch? Oh, I, I instantly got the response out of the drum that I've been wanting, not only sound-wise. Like, I was able to hear the snares more. I was able to hear the body of the drum more. But feel-wise, I mean, a, mm-hmm. a single-ply head has so much more physical response to it than a double-ply. A double-ply feels... Uh, well, a single ply feels like a trampoline and a double ply feels like a piece of cardboard. That's like the extremes of it. Yeah, right. Then narrow that spectrum down a billion percent. But there is a feel to it. I mean, if you're trying to do a, let's say, a nice smooth buzz roll on a, what would be the thickest Remo you can think of? Or let's say use the Evans extra dry vented hole yeah, or the hydraulic Remo, uh, jobby. That, that uh, Emperor X, which is like two plies with the- a dot. With a dot, yeah. yeah. Or uh, what does Aquarian have? They have that. Uh, they've got that triple high energy. What's that triple one? Oh, the uh, yeah, <laughs> triple the, threat or something. Geez, they've got the triple threat, the Force Ten. If you try to do a press roll on those, good luck. You better have yeah. marching sticks. But uh, but when you do it on a single ply texture coated head, uh, whether it's an ambassador uh, or or whatever, I mean, you just immediately have so much more response. So I I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the feel of playing a single ply head. Now, what about, um, okay, so single ply, the traditional thickness is, is it 10 mil? Probably a 7 or one single ply of a 10. 10 mil. I would so think. then yep. there's also these other options that have popped up that are slightly thicker. There's a, there's a 12 mil, there's a 14 mil. Um, so have you messed with any of those? I have not. Um, I don't think Aquarian has those, but Evans has the G12, I think. Remo has. What do they call in it? I don't remember. But either way, I've, I've messed with those, and, and for me, I've found that those sometimes are cool. Sometimes they actually feel worse than a two-ply for me. 
It's really? like the thicker yeah. single ply doesn't respond as well as two thin plies on a double uh, double ply head. And usually on a double ply, you're getting a total of 14 because generally it's like two sevens, right? Right, um, right, right. Except for the super two that Aquarium makes, then you're getting a seven and a five. Yep. Uh, and I I agree. I mean, and and sometimes if I know that like it's going to be a he- like a hard hitting camp, I'll switch out to double plies. But I think it just depends on how hard you're hitting. Like if you're hitting for the point that you're trying to just get the attack out of your drum. Of course, go double ply. But if you're trying to get as much sound out of your drum as possible and hear the true tones, then single ply is great. And the reason why I think Mike and I, especially with snare heads, are talking only about coated is that traditionally became the thing mainly because you could use brushes on it. But what a lot of people don't understand is that coated head, unless you're dealing with a Remo, what do they call theirs? They're smooth white or something where it's actually white mylar. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually not coated. It's like treated. Yeah. Yeah. But if, if you're dealing with a normal coated head, you've got a clear drum head, a clear piece of mylar that they've sprayed coating on, which is mellowing out the sound. It's, it's essentially putting one piece of gaff tape on your clear head. So it gives you that fatness without having to play double ply heads. So I, I'm a huge fan of the single ply thing. I just understand that at, when I was touring and I was hitting and swinging for the fences, yeah, I would have gone through one every day. Yeah. yeah. So it really depends on your playing style. But it, that's the beauty of of bringing your intensity down just a little bit. You get to actually really hear your drums. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. That's that's why I say that's kind of like the you know the the barometer for what does your drum sound like, and then you can you can tweak to taste. So if you put a single ply coated yeah. head on your steel drum, and you're like, dang, this thing rings like a bell, then rather than immediately go to tape, maybe think maybe I should get a, a single ply head with with a muffling ring built in. Maybe that'll right. be enough. Like, where do you go? And What's there's the a lot step? of muffling options if you look at Remo's CS dot. Yeah, which is a totally different thing. I'm beginning to really like that head. I for a long time I didn't like it because I felt like it made the center of the head like a dead. like a null point, like it just felt yeah. dead. But right, I really like the sound of it. It definitely brings for me. That's different than like the Power Stroke Three, which has the muffling ring around the perimeter. Right, that to me makes the whole head just sound you know just muffled. But the CS, right? I mean, you, yeah, you different. even. On the P- uh, Power Stroke 3, on the Aquarian Focus X, right. uh, you actually lose some volume, too. Yeah. It, it, it does choke the drum a bit. The CS Dot, I mean, you have to at some point wonder, why do all these drums from all these different manufacturers ship with this head? Right, <laughs> yeah. There has to. It's not because Remo's born. They're like, hey, this one's got a dot on it, dude. <laughs> it does look like, cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> well, maybe that is what they said. I don't play for Remo, so I don't know if that's that was their marketing meeting. <laughs> that thing looks cool. It's got a dot. But no, I mean, that's one of those things where it, especially in specific tunings, that thing can really. I think that that dot gets activated when you bring the tuning down. Yeah, yeah. And it, it gets to kind of do its job. It has like uh, a but. A, of more, it had just a little bit more smack without affecting the overtone so much, and that, right. I think that's why it's so popular in the studio because it kind of just enhances the the stick attack, but you still get all the the pitch, all the tone that you might want. Then you can tape it out, you know, you add tape right. or whatever. But that's quickly. I, I also one think of my that favorites. I think a lot of these drum heads that exist, um, like I, I can't remember what Evans called their super dry head. Was it just? Uh, uh, well, they've got various versions of the dry. Dry means it has the holes around the perimeter. They've right, got the right. HD dry, which is actually a um, – I have that in this article. What the heck is it? I think it's a single-ply head with the holes around the perimeter. Okay. So with that, the P3 and Aquarian's Focus X, I think another reason why a lot of those heads are, are still around and still very successful is because – not every drummer plays drums six hours a day and knows their drum inside out. You throw those on your snare drum, and you don't need to worry about gels and tape. It's yeah, like, it oh, cool. Sound Sounds like a sample. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. Where it's almost like the way that iPhone is for video, where it'll always look great, but you can't really do anything with it. <laughs> right. So if you're an artist, it's really annoying. <laughs> if it's your mom, she's stoked. Yeah. I'm actually kind of pissed. I'm like, damn, mom, your pictures look amazing. Um I've got a $10,000 camera and it's still blurry because I didn't check focus. So so I, I feel like those heads are there for a reason. And I remember being a very new drummer and getting my first head that was kind of pre-muffled. 
and I just thought, oh, these heads are way better. They sound like yeah. what took me so much work to do with tape. Now they just sound like that. But but you then can't as undo I grew it. With, That's the problem. You can't exactly, you exactly. Can't I always say you can you can take all the ring out of a snare drum that you want, but you can never put more into it. Yeah. So exactly. I'll take the livest snare drum ever. You know, give me some gels and we're fine. Yeah. So um, so the Evans now, version of the two yeah. ply dry head which has the vent holes is called the st which means super tough super tough dry so okay. that's a two-ply head and it has the vent hole like pinholes around the perimeter gotcha i've used that drum and the single ply version the hd dry um, on a th- shallow maple drum and it was mm-hmm. it was like the perfect head for that drum it didn't actually make it super dead sounding it just did something oh, really? okay. with that shallow maple shell that just made it sound really nice I mean, gotcha. Whatever. That's yeah. why I say just experiment. You never know. You can't really assume that one head's yeah. going to do one thing. And I do think that your snare head can be different. Like if you have five toms, I do think your snare head can be different than the rest of your drums. It's it's convenient when all your heads match, and it's great for my OCD. But <laughs> you know, sometimes I mean, I've definitely seen when people were trying to get a very specific sound. Seen that what's the the Remo uh, vent or kind of calfskin looking one the fiber skin oh yeah yeah you know it's like that's not my ideal snare tone but it's definitely a tone yeah. and there's music that creeps up where you go ah wish i had one of those that yeah. would work great i also think though that a lot of these heads still exist obviously one because we're human and we all have different tastes but so many drummers have a side snare and they want their side snare to sound nothing like their main snare that's why they have a side snare mm. and that's that's when you can kind of say you know what for my side snare give me the deadest thing possible or or vice versa like maybe give me like a timbali thing i want single ply texture coated on my side snare and then i'll have the muted you know dead buffy tone on my main snare so that's another reason why you should check out all these varieties. Yeah, one of my favorite specialty heads is the Evans Hydraulic. Put that on a snare drum, and it's like instant disco seventies craziness. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like instant. <laughs> yeah that that drum comes with the big fat snare head embedded yeah. in between the two plies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I actually have one that uh, Near Z gave me when I visited his studio years ago. He had just swapped it out of drum, and it had like a big wad of tissue or maybe fabric tape to it and he's like you put this on any drum and it's going to sound like the 70s and i've i've kept it i actually did end up giving it to a friend of mine who needed he was in my studio tracking i was like just put this on your drum and you're gonna you're gonna love it and i just gave it it to him but that was my go-to when i was like all right i need that super dead sound i don't want to deal with tuning and tape whatever just throw this head on there it is done you know i'm getting to the point now where i'm going to instead of making 20 different snare drums be tuned exactly the same and really trying to turn them into the exact same snare drum i'm kind of narrowing it down to like okay i have all these snare drums for the campers that's what i tell myself but these three are my main three but i want to tune them very different so i can grab it's Mm -hmm. like well this is the best in this tuning range and oh i need that fat 70s snare i'm not going to try to make my main snare into that i'm just going to go grab the drum that's got the tape on it it's got the gels on it it's tuned for it and just have those things ready to go rather than always tweaking the same drum you yeah know? that's it i mean that's why i have an, an obnoxious number of snares because they've all been tuned and taped and like adjusted like all right, i need that sound i have two drums they can sort of give me that and then go for right. one of them rather than mess with my try to get my superphonic your to do favorite everything. snare yeah right right um, well, anyways, guys, I think that it is worth your time to go to your local drum shop and just start start a conversation with whoever's behind the counter about snare heads. Maybe bring your own head in with you or see what they have on their demo snares. Say, hey, do you have any snares uh, on the rack that have a two-ply head or that have the Remo Power Stroke 3? And start to learn more and more about that stuff because learning about that stuff will get you – there's so many and it will get you closer to achieving the the sound you want. And I I think that's a a really cool thing. And those – I don't think a snare head is – I think you're the one that told me this about – maybe it was – I can't remember. Somebody told me. I think it might have been Ash. But anyways, I was talking to somebody about preamps and mics and all this. I'm like, do you really think this matters? I think snare heads are – similar to what he told me, which was, well, it's only going to matter about 4%. Mm. 
Yeah, but if sure. the mics matter 4% and the preamps matter 4% and the good cable and the interface, then it adds up to 45% at the end. Yeah, exactly. You know, after, after 20, after, or like after 10 things that mattered 4%, it matters 40%. Yeah. And I think your snare head is kind of like that. Yep. Is it going to revolutionize your drum set? No, but yep. it'll give you that 4% and a great set of hi-hats give you another 5% and some great kick heads, you know, and then it all adds up. Yep. So. so I uh, I kind of summarized, you know, when you're choosing a snare drum head for this article, I kind of categorized, like, you have three questions to ask yourself. How much sensitivity do you need? How much response or whatever? Like, how quiet mm-hmm. and sure. delicate and quick of an articulation do you need? How much overtone control do you want? Like, are you always going to put tape on a head no matter what? Well, then you know where you have to go. If you need to sometimes have a ringy snare, then you kind of know where you need to go. That's question number two. And then number three, which is probably the most important, is how is durability really a factor? That would be it. Because if you really need a durable head, then you've got to to go on the extreme side. You've got to sacrifice tone and response. Because if you break a head, then everything else doesn't matter. So I think right. if you ask those three questions, like how much sensitivity do you need, how much overtone control do you want, and then how durable does the head need to be, that's going to kind of put you in the category of a single ply, double ply, pre-muffled, super durable. Um, so anyway, check out the article. I tried to do my best to kind of brief, you know, briefly. We didn't talk about bottom heads, but there aren't many options. I think um, – in general, the thinner the better, depending. Again, if you're a super heavy hitter, you're going to blow out a thin bottom head, so then you want to go with right. a thicker bottom head. But in most cases, I go with the thinnest possible bottom head. Very rarely am I like, man, that bottom head just needs to be one step thicker. <laughs> it just doesn't right. happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all you have to do is accidentally put a single-ply tom head on the bottom <laughs> of your snare to find out how bad that can be. <laughs> and you lose. It's like, what the hell? I can't even hear my snares anymore. All right, everybody, so check out some snare heads at your local dealer. And now, a short break to talk about our sponsor. Oh, that's right. So, uh, Dream, again, I'm going to, it's like a broken record, but they keep posting cool lessons on their website. So, if you go to dreamsymbols.com uh, backslash lessons, they put up, um, Nick Baglio has a, has a lesson up. So, we're going to drop in just a little bit of audio from that. He's, he's teaching a, a pretty, pretty seemingly simple linear pattern but when he gets it up you know gets the tempo way up there it sounds pretty sick so let's check it out So again, thanks Dream for sponsoring the show. You can go to dreamsymbols.com slash lessons. Check them all out. Also, follow Nick Baglio on, on Instagram. That guy's a monster. He's one of my favorites. Physically and as a drummer. <laughs> he does that have dude the looks like he could curl my car. <laughs> Nicky Bags. Yeah, he's a killer player, man, and, and a good dude. We've talked a little bit behind the scenes and really good dude. All right, now let's talk about another good dude and an amazing player. Yeah. Talking about Braun Daler, drummer and sometime vocalist for Mastodon. Now Grammy Award winning so, band, Mastodon. Jeez Louise. Unbelievable. Good night. <laughs> this is a seriously talented dude. He is. Not just talented drummer, but a talented human being. He's. I mean, what I love about his playing and there in the band's just general aesthetic is it's it's while it is metal, it's not. It's something. It's it's like this universal rock that I you know I I totally agree. It's kind of like like clutches. You know, clutches kind of like the heavier, groovier version of just a band that I think is going to be timeless. You know, if you're into rock right. music and Mastodon, I think is the the metal angle of that like it's a timeless yeah band. they're gonna be i think honestly forever. their name gives them more of a metal thing than their actual music right uh yeah. they're definitely metal but when you think mastodon you immediately go oh yeah and mashuga right and sepultura <laughs> it's like whoa whoa, whoa. Maybe come back just a little bit they actually have choruses you can sing along to it it's fine um and so i i agree i think that if general rock and roll is just not metal enough for you Mastodon is your band. Like if if you kind of go like, yeah, I just need something a little more than the Foo Fighters and the Killers, but I tried that periphery thing and I just I couldn't follow it. Mastodon is your band. 
It's right in between those two things. But yeah, I think uh, it, when you listen, like I said, the name immediately makes you think like, oh gosh, I better I better be ready for this. It's like, honestly, it's just the metal side of rock. And so if you love the, the timbre of metal music, but sometimes it's just a little too mathed out for you, especially modern metal, yeah. really Mastodon is going to be a home run for you every time. And, and their new album is incredible. I was, like I said, I was uh, listening to it this yeah. morning. Yeah, they've been um, on a string of, a, a f- I mean, all their records have, are, I think are, again, I think they're timeless, but their last few have just been damn near masterpieces, I think. I mean, it's sort of start yeah. to finish, like that is just a good freaking record. Now, what does what from what I understand, and I actually don't know Braun personally, but he's pretty involved in everything, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, at least early on, he actually wrote most of the riffs. So he would. Yeah, that's what I remember. I mean, by, by right, I think sometimes he would just sing them to to the other guys, and they would play them. Okay. And, and I'm pretty sure he writes a lot of lyrics. I mean, he's pretty much the backbone of that band i mean and i don't he sings you know, sometimes right i'm pretty sure he's the primary or at least equal part songwriter lyricist and a monster player he did play the festival and i think i talked about it before he did not um rehearse at all he just got uh, i think live tapes of the band and then removed the drums and then just played to them so wow no click track like just turn oh, it on really? and go yeah wow. <laughs> you know i've the other thing that if you watch in the Modern Drummer Festival appearance of Braun that you'll notice right away is just how comfortable he is speaking to a crowd. Uh, it wasn't metal nerd guy that's never come out of his basement ever and then has to be forced to be social. Like he handled himself really well on the microphone. I thought his what he was teaching and what he was speaking about, it immediately made me think, oh, wow, this guy, <clears throat> if he chose to go that path, he could be – the metal version of whatever I was doing at the time where I was like, this guy is a great educator. Mm -hmm. Um, And probably one of the, I would say the only person to ever be on the modern drummer festival and be in an extra in game of Thrones. Uh, No kidding. I didn't know that. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Season five, episode eight. No kidding. Yeah, man. So a couple of the guys from the band. He's also a pretty big drum nerd, which I, which I think is, probably part of why i feel like i just relate to what he's what he's doing like he he's got a good balance of of being a nerd and being an anti-nerd which kind of comes together in this sure. cool combination um in the, in the in the interview he mentions that on their record uh the last record what was it called emperor of sand his yep. drum sound was inspired by the song barracuda by heart he was going for that no kind of way a but then check this out on the record before that the hunter he was trying to get a Phil Collins sound off of Duke. That was his, oh, so I mean, nice. There's almost no yeah, no Love limit it. to like what where the influencers coming from, and I think that also translates. They're not a metal yeah. only band. They're pulling pop and everything, all kinds of influences. Sure, yeah. I, like I said, I think you have to give them a shot um, because you can make up your mind quick by what you think Mastodon is. And you have to give it a shot and then go, oh, my gosh, uh, this is actually much more tangible than most people would think. I, I I remember when I first signed with Meinl, I just remember Chris Brewer, um, our our rep for all the U.S. artists. I just remember him singing bronze praises um, as a player but as more so as a person and just as somebody that Chris clearly respected a lot. And uh, that so that kind of – I remember thinking like, okay, I don't need you to spill any dirt. I don't want that side of it. What I want is the whatever the opposite side of talking smack is, I want that. <laughs> Tell me the people on our roster that I should, you know, be aware of that I'm not aware of and I should be looking up to them as people and as educators and as players. And I remember Braun was definitely high up in that list of in the Minel family, he was highly respected. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy, and uh, he also has a side project. I don't know if it's still ongoing or if they just put one record out. It's a synth metal band called uh, Arcadia A R C A D E A. There's actually a record out there, so that's a totally different thing. So again, you can kind of if you check out just everything he's done, you'll hear all kinds of different inspirations, influences, and all coming from a a very honest and unique perspective, which I have nothing but respect for. He's never trying to do one thing. It's just whatever. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to play. This yeah. is how I'm going to sing. This is what I'm into this year. 
His kit is pretty I would, fantastic. Did I was just going to say, I'd honestly like to know who the hell painted his Star Classic. <laughs> um, it says, uh, painted by San Francisco artist Dirty Donnie Gillis. Gillius? Gillius? I was going to say, I, I think that Tama makes some of the greatest drums in the world, and they're quite beautiful, but I don't think anyone on staff over there <laughs> is cranking that thing out. That is insane. Yeah, the the pictures that we've included in his story are pretty amazing. I, I assume this is Absolutely. his home, and he's got a his drum room is just covered with clown paintings. <laughs> yeah, I I honestly like if he was there's a clown statue in the corner if. <laughs> If Braun said, like, hey, man, when you come through town, you can stay at my place, I'd be like, I'm cool, man. I I think I'll just sleep in your front yard. I don't need to get anywhere near that clown room. The question but, is, uh, do you think as a child he was afraid of clowns, therefore he floods himself okay, with clowns? Here's my thought. Here's my thought. My thought is that he listened to one of those army podcasts that's like, you need to take a cold shower every morning and cut a grain of toughness. And he's like, all right, I'll make a damn clown room. You want to scare me? Try scaring me. Come on, Pennywise. What do you got? Nothing. Because I have a clown room. That's what I think. You know, he, I think he I might are, be off on that. <laughs> I might have made that up. Roughly the same age. You might be a couple years older. And I remember when that first uh, mini series of It came out, that uh-huh. freaked everybody out that was in school like kids were having not, like not nightmares Bron. and like claiming that they were getting haunted by, <laughs> by clowns Braun was surprised it wasn't produced by Disney he's like that's my favorite show <laughs> that's what I watch when I go to bed uh, alright everybody oh, so check out Braun Daler uh, B-R-A-N-N and you can obviously find a ton of videos of him on YouTube but you can also find a lot of Mastodon stuff yeah. their new album uh, you just told me about it. Emperor's Emperor of Sand uh, came out in 2017, and I think honestly, even though I love when people start at the beginning, I think actually Emperor of Sand is a good place to start if you haven't listened to Mastodon, because like I said, you put it on, you go, oh man, where the hell did rock go? Yeah, why yeah. isn't this on the radio? Because like, because it's metal. Yeah, you hear the metal tones, and you hear like, you know, the the drums and everything, but all of a sudden they hit the the one minute mark and you're like that's a chorus yeah i never hear those in metals like it's like no this is a this is a straight up rock band so i think you guys really like it so check out braun daler and check out his band mastodon now it is time to get to some candy all right so, so we've got some small symbols we do this is the oh well, that's the old rundown we're talking about the zildjian a series <laughs> <laughs> they put out something i think they're calling it the city pack it's an 18 inch a uptown ride and then 12 inch new beat hi hats and then they also include a 14 inch paper thin crash so that's like a pre-pack you can get we got just the ride and the hi hats to review because we already reviewed the the thin crashes a few years back um so yeah it's in the reviews in the august issue do you want to hear them first you want me to kind of talk about it first no i say let's hear them all right Okay, so that was an 18-inch ride symbol, um, which is – you remember they did the remix series years ago? I totally remember that. Yeah, so yep. this – it might be tweaked a little bit. I can't confirm that, but I think it's just that symbol kind of reintroduced because they discontinued it a while ago, and this is – I think is that symbol essentially just reintroduced. Super dry. So really – it's a really cool ride. I mean, yeah, it's it's dry. There's no lathing, so it's going to be crazy dry. Yep. It's got those – I would say medium. They're huge for Zildjian, but I would call them medium hammer marks. Yeah, just because I've seen what uh, Stanton Moore did to his symbol that had like, like sledgehammer marks in it. Um, but it it definitely <laughs> you know which one I'm talking about, right? The smash crash or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's like he was like, shot him with a BB gun or something. <laughs> yeah, like a with a twelve gauge. Um, so yeah, so you've got no lathing on the top, no lathing on the bottom. A pretty raw look. Um, yeah, and I think it just for an eighteen, and especially like what you have to understand what these things are for. You can't always think that every product was made for you. 
I agree. I think that if you were playing, doing a lot of gigs where you needed to keep the volume down but still wanted to lay into your cymbal, yeah. this would be a great cymbal. And you talked, too, about even some iconic jazz drummers. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Jack DeJohnette in the article. Yeah, Jack DeJohnette. That kind of came to mind. And also one of my favorite ride cymbals, strange but favorite ride cymbal sounds is Joe Chambers. So if you check out, like, the Joe Henderson album... Uh, I can't remember. He's on. He's on a several Joe James, uh, Joe Henderson <laughs> records. Take your time, buddy. <laughs> Don't rush through this. I think it's called In and Out. <laughs> but anyway, Joe Chambers' ride symbol is really dry but bright, and I love it. And I used to use an eighteen-inch crash that I would just put a ton of tape on to get that sound. Yeah, this yeah, kind of has it right away. And this, you know, I remember when Sabian came out with the Dijonet Signature Series, and. The, how crazy is timing as far as how ahead of the game he was because nobody was ready for those when they came out. They're like, well, these are horrible. Yeah, right. <laughs> Come out with them 15 years later. Be the biggest hit in the entire industry. So I think this has a little bit of that to it. Um, but it, like you said, I mean, this is just a, a rebranding and a new size of the re, uh, the remix series. But So that record uh, is actually called Mode for Joe by Joe Henderson with the great Joe Chambers. That if it should be my pick of the week, it might have been my pick of the week in the past. I think that is one of the greatest jazz records ever made. So Mode for Joe boom. came out in 1966. It's got one of the most unique ride cymbal sounds I've ever heard. And this kind of has that sound. Um, there you go. There you go. Tie it all together, buddy. Go. So anyway, there we go. <laughs> I actually use now, this what about ride. The hi-hats? I used this ride and hi hats on a session recently where it was kind of a medium slow tempo, but it wasn't a jazz song. It was like a indie rock, but it had some swing okay. feel to it. And the the artist just wanted me to kind of just go for it, play more like Elvin Jones or Jack DeJohnette, but it still had to be kind of mellow. So I used both so this, this ride. Perfect. It was perfect. I could like crash it, but it didn't destroy the overhead mix. Right. It was really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. And it no, was I real articulate. Um, I wonder, too, if they will come out. I would love to hear this ride in a 22. Now, I don't know enough hmm. about Zildjian's lineup to know if they already have it. But one of the reasons I use the Big Apple Dark Ride, which is a 22, is because I can do exactly that. with. I can, I can literally beat it as hard as I want, and it will not override into the microphones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see this symbol. It's like starting out as a small, low volume gig thing, and then it's like, man, that thing would sound killer as a twenty-two. Yeah, because they have the Earth know? Ride, but that's like super thick, and this it's thick, yeah. and it's like ting, 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 ting. Right, which is uh, that kind of leads into the hi hat. So I remember, I mean, that Dennis Chambers video, Serious Moves, had a twenty-two inch Earth Ride and twelve inch special recording hi hats, and that combination just has stuck in my brain as like the ultimate kind of fusion cymbal sound like a right. big yeah, old yeah. earth ride and 12 inch special recording hi-hats and just the most clear hi-hats ever yeah just, and you could roll yeah. at 200 bpm and it was super clear right. I mean, you gotta have Dennis's like, chops but hey you know whatever you know, <laughs> can find that on the app store so the, the 12 inch new beats again I think they are just a rebranding of those special recording hi-hats I think those those SRs have been phased out, so it it's a it's the classic new beat formula with like a medium thin top and a medium heavy bottom. So it's got a really strong chick, and they're real kind nice. of articulate. Uh, these were again, I use them on a session, and I'm working with them again on on that track I mentioned a couple weeks ago. That kind of uh, EDM pop song I've been working on. That's funny. I wonder, like, do you ever have to tell Zildjian, Sabian, Minel, Peisty, whoever, like? No, I know you need your symbols back, but I've got a session coming up. <laughs> that definitely happened. <laughs> there was one record I was working on that I'm not going to mention the brand or whatever, but I had a set of symbols in that I was reviewing, and I know they need to be sent back in a week. And I just Ooh. happened to have them up when I started working on the songs, and the artist was like, that's the best symbol sound I've ever heard in my life. I'm like, well... <sighs> Be ready. I'm going to crank out all 12 songs in the next three days. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get these back, man. Uh, now, I don't know about the hi-hats, but the ride, I mean, just just so that people are aware, this is not cheap gig, you know, coffee shop stuff. We're talk- This is a B20 bronze symbol. This is a professional level symbol. It just has a very specific sound. Yeah. It's the A series, which is it. kind of the classic Zildjian all-purpose, bright, but not, not uh, ear-bleeding line right it's it's 260 bucks so it's not super dude is that thunder yeah man we're getting uh we're gonna get poured on here in a couple seconds (laughs) dude (laughs) even siri's going crazy like hey by the way you might want to duck and cover (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you might want to finish the podcast before you lose power. Uh, all, all right. right. So well, the hi hats. Uh, you heard them in the audio. There's one thing I'm I'm kind of dealing with is there's a bit of like a a high hum that I don't yeah. remember being in the SRs. I think it might be an issue with mic placement, so I'm going to mess around with that a little bit. I feel like it might be uh, picking up too much of the cup sound because they're so small. There's not much space to like right. move yeah, yeah. the mic around. Yeah, but they sound. We really should talk cool. about that sometime in the future too. Just about what it's like when you put too much pressure on a set of hi hats and how they get that. Hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, and people and people are like, oh, these hi hats suck. And I'm like, well, you know, you've got a large thigh, so you're putting a lot of pressure on there. Uh, but on twelves, I mean, you barely even have to close them together, and they're going to chick for you. Yeah, you know? yeah. And these are they're not super thin, so they're not like papery. They're not going to like invert right. at all. I mean, I was I could really stomp on them and they didn't they didn't bottom out at all um, awesome so, yeah they're fun i'm actually thinking about maybe trying just the top of these with like a 12 inch splash maybe that'll give me a different mm. a different sound but these are really cool again not super expensive they are 290 bucks for the pair of the 12 inch new beats yeah and you're looking at about 535 40 for the full box set and that does include the 14 inch fast crash that mike yeah. was mentioning so That's ride cool. set of hats crash Leave it in a bag that you just when it's gig time you grab your you know your uh, bop kit that you have tuned for pop you grab yeah. that bag <laughs> right. you're set to go yeah <laughs> and I mean they're good auxiliary hats too the setup I have now is the twelves as the main hi hats and then I have a set of tens that are in the middle of the kit so I'm kind of doing like a stereo hi hat thing nice super very fun. cool awesome well you guys can check that out on moderndrummer.com you can see the full video of mike playing those now it is time to jump into the mailbag and get uh, to some of your guys's questions all right first one is from russell my question is in regards to playing drums in low volume settings i play with a three-piece jazz combo which has upright bass and um, electric piano and I find that no matter what I do, I'm always too loud playing with sticks. I'm not a heavy hitter, but I find that even if I play just using the gravity of the sticks at low stick heights, it's still too loud. Do you think that my only option is to play with brushes? Um, and I would also like your opinion on using an electronic drum kit for jazz playing. Mm. He's using, wow. I guess we should talk about his gear because that will also play into it. He has a Gretsch Catalina Club Jazz Kit in okay. bop sizes so it's small kit he has a peisty 20 series 20 inch medium ride and an 18 inch thin crash what he doesn't tell us is what size sticks he's using right yeah i mean i think that sticks wood tips for sure um yeah small but, bead i mean the other thing is i, I don't th- i don't think enough drummers mess with their cymbals compared to how much they mess with their drums yeah. And yeah. man, one piece of gaff tape on the bottom of a ride can really help bring down the overtones and the overall volume of the of the symbol. And uh, there's a song on Benny Greb's brass band album called Hot Dog where he's got all of his symbols gaffed. And he's got his hi-hats gaffed, mm. everything, gaff tape everywhere. And it's it's a very cool sound and it doesn't, you know, so I think that that's one thing you could do is try to maybe bring the volume of your symbols down through tape. Obviously, I I think Mike and I would need to see you play to know like is it as are you hitting as soft as you think you're hitting? Yeah, he says. Uh, yeah, he says just letting the gravity of the stick. But yeah, I don't know, man. I th- I've I, heard I, people play very very quietly. Adam Cruz, I've heard play so quietly, but with so much clarity and power at the same time. That, right. Again, possibly, but I, my first suggestion would be that twenty series medium ride is probably too heavy. If, yeah. if taping it up doesn't do it, mm-hmm. I think it's probably just too much metal. So you're not going to, it's just going to ring too much. Yeah. Um, 18 inch thin crash might be okay, but I would try something, th- even if you have like a 20 inch crash, try riding on that, tape it up some. Um, small, Agreed. very small sticks. I mean, check out those Bopwork sticks. They've got that Birdland model that's like, it's tiny. I mean, you can't play loud with those sticks. <laughs> right. What was that? What was that Vic Firth one? Uh, oh man, where it like literally was almost a toothpick by the end of it. It was in your hand. It was a normal grip, and then it just went skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. Uh, not the bolero. Yeah, the bolero is like a tiny it- little ball. It's like a two B, but it goes down to like a tiny little BB. No, you're thinking about the yeah. Peter Erskine stick. The no, ride. no, the the Peter. I know the Peter Erskine one. No, it was this one was like really weird. Where by the middle of the stick, it was 
half the size of a 7A, but in your hand it was like a 2B. Oh, I don't know. It was a really weird stick. I know Pete, uh, Pete Lockett's signature stick it has a really tiny tip. It almost looks like you, yeah. you've stuck a, <laughs> the tip of a normal stick in a pencil sharpener. <laughs> I told you about Chris Dave, how he wanted Vader to send him sticks without gluing on the nylon tip. That was He was like, make that my signature model. Like We can't. The industry will know that we just forgot to glue the tip on. <laughs> but I will say, I mean... The last jazz gig I did was in a hallway of this cavernous office building, and I could only use sticks you know, five minutes out of the entire gig. I had to use brushes. It just was an impossible task to tame the room. So, yeah, sharp, you know, sharpen your brush chops. I think that. Well, be I think good. I think honestly, yeah, I, I don't really think a lot of it has to do with if if you are a very quiet drummer from that moment on. That's why drummers have their stick bag. It's like. The room determined that I couldn't be myself tonight, so I went to bundle sticks of some sort. And then the room determined that bundle sticks were even too loud, so I went to brushes or whatever. Um, So, yeah. So I I would say uh, get quieter. Send us videos. Let us yeah. see how quiet it really is. Now, we'll using an electronic kit with jazz playing, I think only if you're going for a very specific electronic sound. I would not try to play standards in a Philly Joe Jones style on an electronic kit. By specific sound, do you mean don't ever do that? I mean, if you're just like, we, we want to have <laughs> hand claps and, you know, whatever. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I just, I just, I honestly, if I walked in and I saw a trio and a dude was on an electric kit, I don't care. Even if it's the brand that I'm sponsored by, even if it's Yamaha, I'd be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm just going to take off. Like I just I just don't want to see it. The whole reason I came to see jazz was to see the organic nature of it. Like it would feel like I was in like some weird like we walked into a club in Star Trek. Like are we in the holodeck? All right, so Russell you, somebody- <laughs> he sent this this question about a month ago, so you can go ahead and uh send that electronic kid back. <laughs> oh, poor guy. He's like, "Ah, I bought a $9,000 electric kid." All right, All next. Right. I hope that helped. Are we trying to be goofy but not too condescending? But hey. Mm-hmm. All right, this one's from Ben, my buddy Ben. Can you talk about the differences in sound but also feel when recording bass drums with the following front heads? Solid, ported, or no front head? Mm. Yeah, there is definitely a feel difference for sure. Um, he doesn't say is what's inside the drum, though. I think that affects the feel mm-hmm. and sound more than what's on front. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, uh, when you when you go to you know Joe Drum Teacher's studio and he's got nine pillows stuffed in the kick, it's definitely like hitting a brick wall, yeah, and you're yeah, getting it doesn't nothing matter out of it. what's on the front at that. Yeah, point. and then and then at that point he also goes, make sure to play off the head. I'm like, are you crazy, bro? <laughs> Can you hear the difference? You have nine pillows in this kick. I'm not. I'm gonna bury the beater. Um, so I think. Sorry, I'm in a spicy mood today. I'm mad at that guy. Uh, but yeah, I think. I think that you're right. What's in the drum is a is a big difference. Can you? Do you play a lot? Because uh, you record a lot more than I do. Do you play a lot with no front head? Very rarely anymore because I just don't feel like ripping the front head off my drum. I do have a okay. couple that have a large hole in the front head which i think essentially okay. does the same effect it, you know the front sure. head is, is almost a non-factor it just when you have a big hole i'm talking like a like a 12 inch hole in the center of the head sure right in the center yeah, yeah i think of that front head as just it's just holding in the padding at that point it's holding the pillow and the blanket in, in place it's not gotcha. really functioning any kind of tone it's not line. resonating right um, and i would suggest that rather than yanking the hoop and the tension rides off because then you got lug casings are going to rattle you're going to lose parts the shell could go out around you could damage the bearing ed- edge i would just cut an old front head to like just a ring just a ring of mylar and mm-hmm. that'll give you that front you know that that no front head sound that kind of like super punchy or dry disco sound you yeah, doing man. okay buddy <laughs> I, I think uh, i think the walls might come crumbling down here okay uh so yeah so <laughs> go for that and uh yeah just a little thunder i ain't scared <laughs> all right sure my dog is peeing all over the living room now but hey. right <laughs> oh goodness gracious all, all right. right so we didn't answer all of it so solid front head let's say no padding in the drum Okay. Solid front head feel to me is going to be the strangest. It's going to be the strangest. Yeah, you're going to seriously need to know how to play off the head because if you bury the beater, you're going to get a five-stroke roll for every hit. Yeah. And you're going to think there's something wrong with your with your beater or your pedal. It's it's not. I mean that you're shooting a bunch of sound waves and air 
and it hits that rezo head and comes right back and yeah. bounces that beater. Yeah, it's like a punching bag coming right back at you. Yep. Um, and I think sonically, that's also the least gratifying for me because the low end is being obscured by all the high end and stuff. So unless mm-hmm. you're really looking for that kind of bright kick drum sound, I find that to be the hardest to kind of get comfortable with sonically as well. And recording it's, that. Well, especially, I mean, fun. if you're feathering it, one it's one thing and you're going to get low end to fill up the whole room. But if you hit it, you're going to get that tennis racket, tennis ball. Yeah, boom, exactly. Thing. Yeah, I think tuning becomes paramount when you, when you go that way. So a ported front head, small hole. Again, we're talking about nothing inside the drum. Sonically, it's kind of you're still dealing with the same thing. I have a lot of bouncing frequencies. Mm-hmm. The feel, I think, is going to be a little bit easier to, to deal with. It's not going to bounce back as quick, right? I mean, small hole yeah. has the yeah, least yeah. impact on the resonance, but it, I think it just makes it feel a little bit more solid. And I will say, as somebody that plays both off the head and buries the beater, you can bury the beater with a ported head, and you're fine. It's not going to bounce on you. And then no head with no muffling, that's going to be, again totally dependent on tuning i think that's honestly for me that's just not a fun way to play like i feel like the bass drum's giving me nothing the microphone enjoys the hell out of it but i don't feel like i'm actually getting anything out of the drum yeah it's, it's like it's all like smack a, yeah 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 it's like hitting a, a, a just a piece of plywood god that was hard to say <laughs> it's it's like it's like it's like, it's like. <laughs> all right last question last one from brad uh okay I'm interested in starting a podcast with a friend who lives in a different city, um, but I'm wondering about the technical aspect of how you capture the podcast from two different locations. Do you connect? Ooh, we're through? finally getting podcast questions. Yeah, so he's he's got all the issues that we've had to deal with. So um, we've said I've heard people complain about its reliability with dropouts and delays. Um, so what are we doing? So okay, let's. Yeah, pull the curtain back. We are talking via okay. Skype most of the time. There's been a couple times yep. when Skype has been a pain in the butt. We've had to go FaceTime. Right. So those are th- that's the only two ways we've done it is either Skype or FaceTime. And the reason we choose to do that is we feel like the podcast will have a more natural flow if we can see each other and we will step on each other's toes less if we can see each other. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's a certain amount of, of nonverbal that you can do. You have to have a video to see that. Um Reliability, we definitely have latency. That's why we do a count off in the beginning and we each snap. Also, we should say we both record independently on our sides of the computer. So it's, there's no. Yeah, I think that's the misconception. Somebody always thinks like that you're re- that someone's getting one take of it and we're not doing that. I'm recording mine, you're recording yours, and then I send my rendered version to you. Yeah, and I sync them up in. Ableton Live or whatever recording software I have available. We have a count off in the beginning with a snap or a hand clap, and I just line that clap up. So then that gets rid of any latency with the fact that we're 2,000 miles apart. Um, there's only been a couple times when in the middle of the show that latency gets a little worse that I've had to nudge one of us back or forward. But that's been like twice in the 200 and so 150 episodes at this point. Let me ask you this since since you're the one that puts it together. When you're doing it, I'm assuming you don't have time to listen to the whole thing all the way through. So do you just bounce from like, here's the beginning, let me jump into the 30-minute mark and see if we're still synced up? What I do is once I get the files lined up, um, I gain stage the files. So I look at your wave file, look at mine, make sure they're about the same – the waveform is about the same size. And I just kind of go through – I listen to maybe 75% of it, but I kind of look for spots where obviously the wave files are louder so I just kind of see, is that because of one of us laughed really loud or dropped something? Or is there anything that needs to be taken out that would just be really aggravating to hear through earbuds? But that's generally it. I kind of match everything level-wise. I do use a limiter, and I do EQ us our files independently so they're as close to matched as I can get them. Um, so, But all that I do, I've done you know, 100 episodes ago. So now I just drag the files into the template and... Basically, because we do the same setup almost every time, I don't have to do much mixing. It's just editing to get rid of noises or, you know, if yeah, whatever might happen, drop it in audio. It's been pretty. It's been pretty solid so far. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So it can be done. 
All right, everybody, it's time for our picks of the week. So my pick of the week this time is something that I've recommended in the past uh, quite a long time ago, but I was just reminded once again how cool it is because I had to buy a new version of one of these for my wife, Amber. So, And what it is is it's a laptop, a Dell XPS 13, and this is for any of you out there that maybe want to do Pro Tools and run more extensive programs like Adobe Premiere and Adobe Lightroom. But you've always been told you have to have a Mac to do it. Well, you, you don't. Uh, so if you're somebody that wants to stay in the PC world, the Dell XPS 13 is an awesome laptop. Now, obviously, there are way more cool laptops, way more powerful laptops out there. But this is one that works really good, won't break the bank. It's got like an edge-to-edge screen. The bezel around the screen is almost nothing. So you see everything on the screen. Uh, it comes in touch screen, and you can get really i mean it's it's got a 256 gig solid state drive inside of it um and killer screen so i've used this for quite a while mine's about three years old and i still run pro tools on it. it's what i do all my clinics on when i'm on the road i'm able to edit in adobe premiere easily on it and still preview the video files i'm able to edit all my photos in lightroom so i've loved mine for a long time and then my wife um, her laptop was just kind of shutting down she had the old macbook air so but she loved using my laptop so much she was like can i get one like you have. So I got her the newest version and it's all touchscreen and it's amazing. And they started about $799 and go up to, uh, for the 13 inch version, up to about $1,100. But pretty amazing laptop. So check out the Dell XPS 13 and I don't think you'll be disappointed. All right. So my pick of the week is the big brother of something I chose a couple months ago, maybe the Ultimate Ears Mega Boom uh, Bluetooth speaker. It is how big is it? It's I don't know. It's about the size of a water bottle, like a like a liter liter water bottle. Uh, you can find them online for cheaper, but on the Ultimate Ears website, it's two fifty. Uh, it's a seriously awesome sounding uh, speaker that I take when I do drum set lessons at a local school. I, it's able to get loud enough to where they can play along with it and not have to strain. I mean, the, we have a muted down kit, but still they can play along to music. It has a really nice full range spectrum. What reminded me of how cool this was is I was at a restaurant uh, a couple of weeks ago and they had these, uh, they were using these in the bar for music rather than any kind of actual system. And it sounded really good. All right, everybody, that is our episode for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Like Mike mentioned earlier, please rate and review this podcast. We do read them, but more importantly, that helps other drummers find this podcast and that means the world to us. Everyone, have a great week. Later, buddy. You forgot the outro beat again. It's even in the rundown in bold typeface. (laughs) All right, this is Raphael. He's going to send this out. He's playing a. He recorded this on a Zoom H4N uh, digital recorder. He's got a DW Collector Series kit with a 22 inch bass drum, six and a half. <laughs> Six and a half by fourteen snare, Zildjian fourteen inch A hi hat. So it's a Raphael. Have a good week. <laughs>